Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. You got to get it done. Gentlemen, start your engine! British young Cinderella coming out of nowhere. He's got about 350 yards up. He's going to get about 500 yards. He's got a beautiful catch. Dead! Oh, he got all of that one! Hey! Fans, I'm back. I took a little unexpected spring break, and I'm ready to go now, though. And we have a lot of ground to cover. Plus, I have a couple of big announcements to make later in the program. I also want to wish all of you a happy Memorial Day. As always, the grill is going, the cooler is iced down, and it is full. So bring up your seat cushions and your koozies. Time to talk sports. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Promo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Hey, welcome sports fans of Talking Sports on the Bleachers. I'm Don Glenn, your host. It's been a few weeks and I apologize for the break, but I had a couple other projects going that didn't leave me a lot of time. Now you'll want to stay tuned to the end of the show for two big announcements. One involves the show going forward and the other is a guest I have scheduled for next week that I think some of you just might be interested in. Talking Sports on the Bleachers is proud, proud to be part of Gateway City Sports. At Gateway City Sports, we strive to bring you all the sports coverage in and around St. Louis Bi-State area. You can also find articles on the Cardinals, the Blues, Missouri Tigers, Illinois Fighting Illini, and more. Check out our other podcasts as well. The Team of Rivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey. Two for Three with the Moose, Mike Stevenson. Yacker Jacks with my debate water cooler partner, Brian Papaswope. In the cards with the A-Train Arlington Lane, the XFL STL Football Talk Show, and the always ever-popular Derek King Sports Show. Alright, so when last we talked, it was a couple of days before the Final Four in the NCAA Basketball Tournament, which, congratulations to the University of Kansas and Coach Bill Self, who beat uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels and first-year coach Hubert Davis 72-69. 
Now Kansas was down by 15 points at the half after jumping to a 9-3 lead in the first three minutes of play. They were down as many as 16 in the first half. So with the win, Kansas broke two NCAA tournament records. The first was the largest comeback in championship history, previous held by Loyola of Chicago at 15 in 1963 over the University of Cincinnati. Now the second was the largest comeback from a halftime deficit, which was previously uh, was 10 by Kentucky in 1998 over Utah. Armando Baycott, with 15 points and 15 rebounds, also set a new NCAA tournament record with six double-doubles in tournament play. It was the fourth national title for Kansas and the second for Bill Self, who won the championship in 2008 with the same Kansas Jayhawks. Staying with college basketball for a minute, in somewhat of a surprise announcement, Jay Wright stepped down as the head coach of Villanova. Wright, who just completed his 21st season at Villanova and led them to a Final Four and is a Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coach, is also a two-time national champion. Now, no real reason was given by Coach Wright as to why now he would decided to retire. Uh, but, uh, some have speculated that, like a few of his peers, the game has changed too much too fast. With the combination of the transfer portal and the NIL laws, uh, to steal an old line, this is not your daddy's NCAA anymore. <laughs> College basketball recruiting has now become a minefield. And, uh, you know, it could be that coaches like, longtime coaches like Jay Wright, uh, just don't feel it's worth the uh, headaches anymore. Now, this is just speculation and rumor. Of course, as I said, Coach Wright has not made any statements along these lines. But it does make the fourth high-level coach to retire in the last 13 months. But when you talk about successful coaches that have walked away, Roy Williams left UNC after last season, Mark Turgeon left Maryland in midseason, Krzyzewski at the end of the season, and now Jay Wright with the surprise announcement. I think the NCAA has opened up a Pandora's box that some coaches just don't want to deal with. And we'll see. We shall see. But uh, here's something to think about. Now, the University of Miami guard Isaiah Wong um, turned the transfer portal into a weapon of sorts, or at least his agent did. And according to Wong's NCAA approved agent, and this is a quote from the agent, if Isaiah and his family don't feel that the NIL numbers meet their expectations, they will be entering the transfer portal while maintaining his eligibility in the NBA draft and going through the draft process. Uh, the next day, Wong walked back those comments, saying that he will not enter the transfer portal and that he will either return to Miami or stay in the NBA draft. And I think he has since uh, decided to come go back to Miami. Um, Wong also later said that his agent made the comment without consulting he or his family. Uh, much of this was seemingly brought on by Nigel Pack, a player in the transfer portal from Kansas State. Billionaire Miami alum and booster John Ruiz stepped in and actively negotiated a deal where Pac would come and play for Miami and get a two-year deal worth $800,000 and a car. Now, Wong already had signed the deal with LifeWallet, which is Ruiz's company. So, something like this was bound to happen. I mean, when you allow unlimited and no-consequence transfers and players getting paid uh, for basically using them as advertising, 
you've got a perfect storm. And well, now the perfect storm is here. It's hit, folks. And uh, I think the NCAA needs to get ahead on this and work with all of the states that have enacted NIL laws. Um, and they need to kind of refine the transfer portal. I mean, uh, last year, Adam Miller left the University of Illinois after starting 30 games as a freshman, went to LSU. He was not a star, and the program is in a mess, so he's leaving again. So what happens if he does not have success at his next school? Should we allow players just to leave on a whim and some agent talking in his ear saying you can get better NIL money over here? Is this better for the game? And what, in effect, is happening is the kids are basically now free agents. Uh, there's Forget the scholarship. Forget uh, offering them a degree in, in uh, sports management or business or psychology or whatever they want to study. It's all about how much NL money you got. And I think there needs to be some things done. And uh, I've got three suggestions. The first would be a hard cap on NIL earnings. And it needs to be realistic so that small schools like a Southern Illinois or a Southwest Missouri State or Drake uh, can compete. I think $100,000 is more than enough for a college student. Or, a, or you can go 200000 and make them pay for their college. Uh, second... Limit the number of times a, transfer, a player can transfer. A player should not be able to transfer every year. They should be required to stay at least two years, or you could even go back to the old rule of having to sit out a year before they can play. Now, if a player signs with a program and that program changes coaches, then yes, uh, players should have the right for an immediate transfer in that situation, you know, where the, the change comes after the, the player signs and that the new coach coming in is not the one that... that, that recruited him. Something like that should be allowed. Uh, third, transfer requests should face a review of the reason why. Is it academics? A personality issue with a coach? Is it wanting to play closer to home? The one thing that should be, be an immediate rejection is because, there, because there's more NIL money at the new school. That should never, ever be a reason that a student should be allowed to transfer, or a student athlete, I should say, should be allowed to transfer. Um, so college basketball is on a slippery slope, and they've got banana peels for shoes right now. So they need to get ahead of this or pay the price. Uh, the NCAA should be helping protect these athletes from this kind of thing, not be willing partner to exploitation of the young athletes. Just my opinion here. Um, but this is another little tease. My guest next week will help me address this subject. So, again, stay tuned for that. Uh, more college hoops. The University of Missouri fired head coach Quanzo Martin and hired Dennis Gates, formerly head coach at Cleveland State. Now, Gates has spent three years at Cleveland State, Cleveland State excuse me, compiling a record of 50-40 and 40 and uh, tied for first place in the Horizon Conference the last two years earning an NCAA bid in 2021 and an NIT bid this year. Martin has been at Mizzou since 2017, replacing Kim Anderson. In five seasons at Mizzou, Martin has a record of 78-77 and 77 and only two trips to the NCAA tournament. In three years at Missouri State, prior to coming to Missouri, Martin was 61-41 and 41, uh, and the 2010 CIT champion and a trip to the 2011 NIT. Overall, Martin has a college record of 264 and 198. Uh, so, with other co but also with other coaches leaving, like uh, the ones I mentioned before, Jay Wright, uh, Turgeon, and a few others, um, 
I think you know, Martin will end up with a, another coaching job. If not this year, probably next year, uh, I think for sure. Uh, let's take, take in some uh, golf. We'll head out to the links here for a second. Since we last talked, Scotty Scheffler had been riding a hot streak starting in February with the Phoenix Open. In March, he followed that up with a win at the Arnold Palmer Invitational and then winning the Masters. He did take a break after and play in a PGA event until the AT&T Byron Nelson Classic, where he finished 15th. He's still number one on the money list with four wins, seven top ten finishes. The recent PGA Championship was won by Justin Thomas, who started uh, seven shots down on Sunday and six golfers to climb over. Thomas shot a three under 67, earned him a playoff against Wills Alatoris. Alatoris missed an eight-foot putt on the second playoff hole and couldn't catch Thomas in the final hole. This was the final time, or the first time in eight majors at Southern Hills that a player rallied from any margin to win and only the second playoff. Thomas now has two majors under his belt for his career. He currently sits third on the PGA money list, has one win this year with eight top ten finishes. Uh, speaking of the PGA Championships, in battle golfer Phil Mickelson had registered for the PGA Championship in the 2022 U.S. Open. He pulled out of the PGA and chose not to play. He was the defending champion event. Mickelson had filed a request to play the Live International Golf uh, in June in London, but PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan denied Mickelson and other golfers uh, requests who filed their waivers. So some think that uh, Mickelson's pulling out of the PGA Championship might be in a little bit of a defiance for not being allowed to play in the LIV uh, Golf Invitational Series. Um, this is the the reason Mickelson has had has been in battle is actually because of the LIV Golf. He, after calling the folks funding the LIV Golf a bunch of scary MFers, he has since apologized. So I'm sure we're going to hear more on this as time goes by, and uh, only time will tell if he does uh, attend the U.S. Open. Another name that went through from the PGA Championships was Tiger Woods, who was seen a week before playing rounds at the Indian Hills Country Club, where the PGA uh, Championship was held. I am uh, at this time; it's unclear the reason why Woods pulled out. In other another note, it was announced last week that John Daly and his son John Daly II have signed an endorsement deals by sports bar and restaurant chain Hooters. While the financial details are not disclosed, it's a multi-year deal and John Daly II is the first college athlete to be endorsed by Hooters under an NIL agreement. There comes the NIL agreements again. I'm telling you folks, keep an eye on this stuff. The NFL draft was last month and one day uh, on day one, the first five picks were all defense. Trayvon Walker was the overall number one pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. The 6'5", 275-pound D lineman was called a projection pick by Pete Prisco. The Jags need edge help, and Walker is more of a down, down five technique or interior lineman. Detroit Lions went the way the Jags should have gone by tabbing edge rusher Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. At 6'6", six, six and 265, he's projected to be an impact player capable of 12-plus sacks a year. The Texans then selected Kirk cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. from the LSU. Many people thought the Texans would go for a pass rusher, so this pick is odd, uh, according to Pete Prisco. Uh, the Jets took cornerback Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati, who is one of the better cover corners in the draft and should help be an immediate help to the Jets' defense. At number five, the Giants selected Kayvon Thibodeau, edge rusher from Oregon. 
Thibodeau is rated as the best pure pass rusher in the draft. He should make an immediate impact for the Giants and be an, a, a definite upgrade to their rush defense. Teams only seem to wait on quarterbacks this year, and was only uh, as only University of Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett was the was the only quarterback taken in the first round. None were taken in the second round. And according to CBS.com's Pete Prisco, the Baltimore Ravens get an A+. He gave the Chiefs and Jets both A's for their selections, and the Bears got a D. Pete Prisco also re revealed his post-draft power rankings, and the top five look like this. The Rams are number one, which is not surprising with the addition of Bobby Wagner on defense, replacing departing Von Miller and Allen Robinson on offense to make up for the loss of Odell Beckham Jr. The Rams are still on the top of the heap. The Bills are number two with the addition of aforementioned Von Miller and some good draft choices. Josh Allen uh, looks to be one of the best young quarterbacks around, and Buffalo looks to be one of the top teams in the AFC. Right behind them at number three, the Kansas City Chiefs. Even without Tyreek Hill, uh, the additions they made to the defense via draft should keep them in the mix. The Packers came in at number four with the loss of Devontae Adams. They used the draft to garner much-needed defensive help and snagged three receivers who should, be, should see significant playing time. At five, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Getting back Tom, the ageless one, Brady, keeps them in the mix. Plus, uh, the change from Bruce Arias to Todd Bowles should be somewhat seamless. The next five are Cincinnati, San Diego, Denver, San Francisco, and Baltimore. He lists the bottom five teams as Detroit, the Jets, Carolina, Houston, and Atlanta. The NFL has also announced their international schedule for 22-23. On Sunday, October 2nd, the Minnesota Vikings will play the New Orleans Saints in London. Uh, the following week, the Giants will take on the Packers in London. Uh, October 30th, the Denver Broncos play the Jacksonville Jaguars again in London. Uh, then uh, November 13th, the Seahawks will take on the Buccaneers in Munich, Germany. And November 21st, the 49ers meet up with the Cardinals in Mexico City. In horse racing, on May 7th, people gathered at Churchill Downs to watch the 148th running of the Kentucky Derby. They watched the last-minute addition to the field. Rich Strike pulled off a seemingly impossible comeback. Coming out of the gates at the far outside lane, he hung back and got caught up in a group about halfway at the halfway mark. He was seemingly mired in the back in the middle of the pack with horses all around him. But somehow, jockey Sonny Leon found an opening, went low to the rail, and at the final furlong, Rich Strike had the lead duo of Epicenter and Zandon in his crosshairs, with only Messier to maneuver around. The Colt went right, seemingly jumped ahead of Messier, went back to the inside, kicked on the afterburners to win by almost a full length, and a final time of 2 minutes, 2 and 61 tenths of a second. Rich Strike originally failed to qualify, but was allowed into the field due to his late scratch of Ethereal Road the day before. Rich Strike went off at 80.8 to 1 odds, making him the second longest, longest shot to win the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike, a chestnut colt bred by famed Calumet Farm, which has produced eight Derby winners and two Triple Crown winners, Rich Strike paid $163.60 to win, $74.20 to place, and $28.40 to show. In the Preakness, early voting won the Preakness by just over a length, beating out Derby favorite Epicenter. Early voting did not participate in the Kentucky Derby and was only the fourth and is only in his fourth race this year. Uh, early voting paid $13.40 on a $2 bet. Jockey Jose Ortiz settled in at the start, putting early voting behind 
and to the outside of early race leader Armagnac. Uh, after the half mile, early voting started to pull alongside and eventually pass Armagnac. Epicenter made his move from the inside and was closing near the end when Ortiz dropped it, dropped Epicenter to the rail, or dropped the excuse me uh, early voting to the rail to cut Epicenter off and secure the win. Uh, the next jewel in the Triple Crown is the Belmont Stakes, set for June 11th. Now, I'm thinking the Kentucky Derby must be a great way to reduce stress. Sit back with a mint julep, watch the horses run. That is, as long as you don't have any money bet on the race. I think it must be like buying a car from Fifth Street Motors. Fifth Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri. They know how to cut stress there. They will help you find a vehicle no matter what brand... Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle designed to fit your budget. So give Brandon or Don a call today at 573-259-1306 and be sure to tell them that Gateway City Sports sent you. Hey, speaking of cars, today was the Sunday was the biggest day in auto racing. Started out with the Monaco Grand Prix in Formula One, which was uh, t- uh, taken by Sergio Perez by one. 1.15 seconds over Carlos Sainz and 1.49 seconds ahead of Max Verstappen. The race was delayed and then halted for rain, after, and, but finally after it got started, Perez, Sainz, Verstappen, and Pulsitter Charles Leclerc all, all took turns in, uh, in the front and jockeying throughout the, throughout the race. After lap 55, it settled into Perez trying to hold off Sainz, who almost passed him at a hairpin, but couldn't get around Perez. A, the 2022 Indy 500 was the next race up in the day. It was won by Marcus Erickson by two seconds over a Pato Award, uh, a red flag with five laps to go to set a furious final dash when the green came out with three laps left. Erickson took the lead and was battling Award until a yellow came out on the final lap, which made the race finish under caution conditions. In NASCAR, the Coca-Cola 600 was won by Denny Hamlin in double overtime. The race featured 18 cautions and actually totaled up 5 hours, 8 minutes, 16 seconds, 413 laps, and 619 and a half miles. With two laps to go, Chase Briscoe was spun out at bringing out a yellow flag. After the restart, on the white flag lap, Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain, Denny Hamlin, and Austin Dillon were four wide coming off turn four. Larson and Dillon got together and then into the outside wall, bringing out the 18th caution and double overtime. On the restart, Hamlin was able to take the lead, hold off Kyle Busch for the win. Kevin Harvick was third, Chase Briscoe finished fourth, and Christopher Bell was fifth. Now, if you don't mind, I want to circle back to the NCAA for just a minute or two here and talk about my favorite team, the University of Illinois. Specifically, basketball news. Now, after the season ended with the second round of 15-point loss to Houston, fans were wondering, what is next? Last season, Illinois lost seven players, either to the NBA draft, transfer, or graduation. Al DeSumo and George Bashanisvili uh, went to the NBA draft route. Adam Miller, Jermaine Hamlin, and Edgar Padilla left via transfer portal. Three other players entered the draft but came back to campus in DeMonte Williams, Trent Frazier, and Kofi Coburn. And then you had two graduations, uh, Zach Griffith and Tyler Underwood. In step Luke Goody, R.J. Melendez, and Brandon Pazinski as freshman recruits. Junior Omar Payne and grad student Alfonso Plummer arrived via the transfer portal. And after the first semester, 
Redshirt freshman Dane Danya would arrive via the transfer portal, but he won't be eligible to play until next season in 2022. So this year you start out with three graduations, Williams, Frazier, and Plummer. Now, to keep track after that, you might want to take some notes. Okay. So in what seemed like a fierce Illinois spring wind, Andre Corbello entered the transfer portal on March 28th, then came Omar Payne on April 2nd. Ten days later, Brandon Pazimski would announce he was leaving the program. Corbello would wind up at St. John's, Payne with Jacksonville University, and Pazimski would end up at Santa Clara. Now at this time, rumors swirled around like an Illinois tornado. Sky Clark, highly touted and former Illinois recruit, decommitted from his letter of intent with Kentucky on March 6th, reopened his recruitment. Now, I did have an advantage in that new assistant coach Tim Anderson had tried to recruit Clark when he was at DePaul. A little over a month later, April 13th, Clark signed a letter of intent with Illinois. Now, Clark is a 6'3 guard, 5-star recruit, ranked number 25 in the country. After this announcement, the Illinois recruiting class was immediately boosted up. They were, I think, 15th, uh, 15th or 17th, something like that, right? They were immediately boosted to 8th nationally and the 2nd best recruiting class in the Big Ten. So, you know, fans actually started to feel a little bit better, and that is until April 20th when what most people thought was going to happen did happen, and that was the big man in the middle, Kofi Coburn, King Kofi as they call him around here, uh, declared for the NBA draft. And if that was not enough of a punch to the gut, uh, Benjamin Bozeman's Verdock announced his intentions to transfer. On the same day, Jacob Granderson and Austin Hutcherson, both wing players for Illinois, declared for the NBA draft. Now, as of the taping of this show, Hutchinson has just stated he will stay in the NBA draft field. Jacob Granderson has pulled out his pulled his name out of the draft, but has not announced his intentions on whether he's coming back to Illinois, entering the transfer portal, or just going up to the European League or something of that nature. That announcement has not yet been made. Uh, so fans have to be looking at this, and I've been looking at this, and you got, here's what the stats tell you. You've got four true freshman recruits in Sincer Harris, Sky Clark, Ty Rogers, and Jaden Epps. You have redshirt freshman transfer Dane Danya, sophomore returnees Melendez and Goody, juniors Coleman Hawkins, and Lily U seven-footer Brandon Lieb. Now, while this lineup is long on talent, is a little light on the experience. Ah, but as they say in the late night TV ads, wait, there's more. Back on April 7th, Terrence Shannon Jr. announced he would be leaving Texas Tech and entering the transfer portal. Shannon was another former Illinois recruit from 2019. Well, on April 29th, the 6-6 Shannon chose to play his final season at Illinois. And as I was literally putting this podcast together this week, it was announced that six foot nine wing forward and fifth year senior Matthew Meyer will transfer from Baylor and has decided to play his final season at Illinois. So the experience factor has just kind of grown a little bit now. Uh, Shannon was a four star recruit out of high school, as was Meyer and Dane Danya. So adding all this together, you take those three four stars, former four star recruits, Melendez and Goody were both four star recruits, and you have Censor uh, Harris, Jaden Epps, and Ty Rogers are all four-star recruits. So that gives you, by my count, eight four-star recruits. And Sky Clark is a five-star recruit. I haven't seen this many stars behind names at uh, Illinois in a long time, folks. So to say there's optimism in Champaign is a very accurate statement. Now, however, while all this is good news in terms of the players coming in, 
fans will have to temper some expectations. Because in all likelihood, what you're going to see is a freshman dominate, or the freshman will dominate the backcourt. I mean, sure, you do have sophomore Luke Goody. And fifth-year transfer Terrence Shannon will take some time at that shooting guard. He can also handle the ball very well. Um, but there's no way around it that Illinois will have a heavy freshman presence in the backcourt with Harris, Epps, and Clark, and especially at the point uh, where you'll you'll see probably Harris a lot and Clark. Uh, now, the wing is where Illinois was probably going to be very strong at because you've got R.J. Melendez, you've got Ty Rogers, you've got Meyer coming in. Shannon can even pull time. Goody could pull time in there. You've got six foot ten Coleman Hawkins who could play him at the wing and Donya in the middle. The middle might be the place where you may have some issues because really all you've got is now Coleman Hawkins and Dane Donya. Um, I mentioned uh, Brandon Lieb earlier. If he could put on some weight, like he's only like about he's seven foot and only about two twenty. Uh, if he could put on some weight, get up around that two forty, he might be able to get, give you some good relief minutes at the post. Now, the Illini do have two open scholarships left, uh, and they could reward uh, longtime walk-on Connor Seven or Servin, who is uh, 6'9", and could be another big body in the middle, or they could look around for a true big man, or even experience more experience at the point guard with a grad transfer. I think more likely, though, that now that Meyer is in the mix, they just might pocket those two scholarships for next year, given that really all you're going to have graduating is going to be uh, Terrence Shannon and uh, Matthew Meyer. So they could put those in the back pocket and hold on to next year so they can get a little bit more... Uh, uh, recruits coming in because with this transfer portal you just don't know what things are going to do i think uh, the recent additions from the transfer portal have been good for illinois uh, i like uh, how it's provided some good insurance and lineup protection for coach underwood and if he can make things gel uh, you, you should see some uh, some really good results at u of i but again like i said you need to temper that because you've got a lot of young kids playing they're going to be playing some really key positions I think uh, sometime in June we'll take a little, maybe a preview look at Illinois football. So stay kind of tuned for that one. And speaking of protection, in this day and age, we all need protection. Because life can throw you a curve, just like a missed shot coming off the corner of a backboard. And when it does, you need protection. That's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group, located in Festus and Arnold, have a number of ways to protect you with home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business investments, and so much more. They offer a customized approach that fits your unique situation to ensure that you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They offer great rates and savings, so go ahead and give Sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294. They'll work out an insurance quote right over the phone for you, and you can even call them if you just want to talk sports. Yes, sir, they do that too. So look, we all have busy lives, but you can email Sean at seanwiley at allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Okay, lastly, I want to talk about the St. Louis Cardinals here. Uh, finally happened the long-awaited arrival of Nolan Gorman. And while he's put together some good games, including Saturday going 4 for 4 with his first home run and four RBIs, the bigger story to me has been uh, Juan Yepes, who was added to the playoff roster last year and was an absolute stud in the Arizona Fall League. In 20 games this year, Yepes is slashing a 274, 333, 464 with four home runs, eight RBIs. He's seen playing time at first base, left field, right field, and even a couple trips at DH. 
another rookie who has had a big impact is Brendan Donovan, who also had a very good Arizona Fall League since and since being called up. He has responded with a 288, 413, 424, one home run, uh, nine RBIs, uh, seen time all over the infield, uh, all four positions actually in the infield, and in right field. Paul Goldschmidt is having just a monster to start. I, I, I got to say that, and I say monster start of the season. He's basically got a quarter of the season in. You only got 100. We got 115 games left, so about 40 some odd games he's played. And Goldie is slashing. 352, 416, 614, 10 home runs, 40 RBIs. He leads the club in RBIs, average doubles, home runs, and walks. Harrison Bader's having a decent year overall. He struggled at times, but he's put up a decent slash line for him anyway, the lag given the last couple of years. 255, 304, 369, four home runs and 15 RBIs. A couple things that that are the uh, uh, the impressive part to me is his strikeout rate is down to 16.7%, and he has less strikeouts now than Arenado, Goldschmidt, Edmund, and O'Neill. He also is 15 for 15, or excuse me, 13 for 13 in the stolen base department. Corresponding with the promotion of Nolan Gorman was the demotion of Paul DeYoung. His 132.09.208 slash couldn't be covered up by his defense. And with Tyler O'Neill doing his best 2021 Matt Carpenter impression, something had to be done. Now, this may sound harsh about Tyler, but you can't hide the truth. O'Neill looks lost at the plate. I mean, he looks like he's guessing at more pitches than he's taking and taking the bad swings at pitches that he shouldn't be swinging at. He's not the same patient, deadly hitter we saw last year. Now, currently, he's uh, on the injured list with a shoulder soreness. They're saying probably could be headed for a rehab assignment later in the week. So let's hope that during his time he can revert back to form or at least find some way to get himself on the right track, at least, or at least going upward. Albert Pujols, or El Hombre, as I call him, has played well at times, and but he's also looked his age at other times, uh, especially against right-handed hitting. He's only hitting 219, uh, 329, 411, with four home runs, 13 RBIs. And while he may not be the Albert of old, you know, <laughs> Because I really would like to see a bit better, especially the right-handed pitching, and that seems to have been his bugaboo this year. But just to see Pujols and the number five on the back of a Cardinal jersey is just—that's joy in itself. Uh, you know, you hope he can play a little bit better. We can we can get some a little bit more uh, offensive firepower out of him. But uh, just to have him back in that lineup, and especially this year with with uh, Molina going out and possibly. Um, Wainwright retiring, having Albert back really where he belongs with those guys is just, uh, it's immeasurable. Uh, the addition of Corey Dickinson, who I thought would make a good fourth outfielder, has just not materialized at all. He's hitting poor. I mean, he's doing almost as good a Matt Carpenter impression as, as O'Neill is right now. He's only hitting 182, 242, 16 with no home runs, nine RBIs. He's another one that I. If things don't improve, I don't see the $5 million investment uh, paying many dividends, if you will. In the pitching department, familiar images from last year keep emerging. Now, coming off of last year should have been a major wake-up call to John Mazalock in the front office, but evidently, they hit the snooze button. Uh, the Cardinals are coming into the season with a 40-year-old Adam Wainwright. Then they add Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, and Dakota Hudson all coming back from an injury. 
They did release Quang Hyun Kim and Carlos Martinez, added free agent Stephen Matz, and then decided that they might just try and stretch out Jordan Hicks and Alex Reyes after they figured out that Flaherty may have some issues. I mean, it was on the, it was on the books before, and they were going to try it, uh, but uh, I would have assumed if they were going to do that, they would have moved Hicks down to the minor leagues to let him stretch out in the minor leagues where he can get a little bit more one-on-one attention and at a not a high as high level as what's in the majors. But, you know, they decided that, no, nah, the majors is a great place to stretch him out. Now, it hasn't worked. I don't I, We'll get to that later. Uh, Alex Reyes hasn't, didn't make it north of the team, didn't get it out of spring. I'm not sure he even pitched in spring training. Um, he's having issues with his shoulder, uh, and it looks like he's going to miss yet another season of baseball. Jack Flaherty also had issues in spring training, currently is on the IL, but he has been throwing the live hitters and could have a rehab assignment fairly soon. Dakota Hudson has performed pretty well coming off his injury from last year. He, he pitched some at the end of last year and looked pretty good. Um, he still has, uh, he's got some issues with control, but uh, otherwise he's he's pitching fairly well. Uh, Steven Matz has had his moments, but now he's on the injured list as well. Um, and get back, getting back to Jordan Hicks, like I said, the, exper- the experiment of trying to stretch him out at the major league level has just been a mistake. Uh, he has made it to the fifth inning only twice in nine starts, and I think six of those starts he has been under four innings. So you really, that's not something that you can continue with and, and be successful, uh, at least for this rotation. Uh, you, you've got a rotation that's short anyway with uh, Wainwright um, and, and Michaelis. And Michaelis had been pitching very well until uh, today. He kind of got rocked today, but uh, going into today, he was kind of looking more like the 2018 version of himself. He had a 1.96 ERA, a 0.98 whip. Um, and if he'd had some offensive support, he'd have, he'd have a better record than 3-2. and two. Uh, Now going to the bullpen, Ryan Helsley has been the stud plus stud. Uh, he's a 2-0 two, two with a 0 ERA, a .32 whip. And I, I'm going to say this again, point or 0.32 whip. I, uh, okay, and for those of you that don't understand, whip is walks and hits versus inning pitch. So you take his walks and his hits, add them together, divide that by the number of innings pitched. And uh, average is somewhere between a .85 and a .12, or 1.2. So to be a .32, this is phenomenal. He also has 26 strikeouts versus only three walks in 15 and two-thirds innings. He's been just the biggest surprise. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say a surprise. I tabbed him last year. So I thought he was going to be a very integral part of the bullpen. Um, it does turn out I'm right for a change. <laughs> Once in a while, I get one right, guys, okay? Once in a while, I get one right. Uh, but I think the surprise arm so far this season has been uh, Andre Palante. Uh, 22 innings, he is a point or 0.82 ERA with a 1.35 whip. So the whip's a little high, but uh, he's shown the ability to come in and give multiple innings, um, solid relief, keeping keeping the team in the game, and then being able to hand it off to the closer, which uh, Gallegos has been steady. Um, not quite as good uh, as you would hoped. He's uh, eight saves and ten opportunities, but uh, he's got what it takes 
uh, in the terms of his uh, pitching to be a a good closer. Uh, I think he still needs to kind of grow mentally into that role as a closer and not the setup guy. Um, I mean, he did close last year at the end of the year, uh, but uh, you know, I think uh, really his mentality is still that in the setup role, and he hasn't really embraced that closer attitude as of yet. Uh, Jake Woodford has provided some length for the pin. Uh, he's been up and down from Memphis. I think he's back with the team right now um, and uh, providing some innings. Uh, personally, I would have had him in Hicks's place when Flair, when it was figured out that Flaherty wasn't going to be with the team this year. I would have put Woodford in the number five spot in the rotation and Hicks would have been at Memphis learning how to be a starter. But all in all, the Cardinals are three and a half games behind Milwaukee for the Central Division and four games behind the Padres for the top wild card spot. Now, this is as of Sunday. And like I said, there's about 115 games to go, at least on the Redbirds side of the schedule. So there's still time, but they need to get some things right. They need to admit that they were wrong about Hicks. Tyler O'Neill has to figure out his issues as well. Now, can DeYoung uses, DeYoung, excuse me, use this time at Memphis to rebound? Or is it going to be... Edmund and Gorman, the, the next big keystone combo. And I think that's actually going to be a very good, could be a very good uh, uh, combo uh, with Edmund at short, uh, Gorman at second. Um, you know, Gorman's got some adjustments to coming up from AAA. And, you know, people have to realize, I hear some people getting on, oh, he's already got four errors and he's only played 70. Okay, people, take a chill pill, all right? First of all, the man's only played the position full-time one year. That was last year at AAA, okay? So he's still learning that position. Uh, and he's been doing actually quite well because none of his errors have really been costly errors that's, that's uh, uh, given up any runs. So you've got that. But if you look at his track record, every year he's kind of uh, been promoted, he's had an issue. Uh, but then when he, he gets it figured out, he turns in... Um, very good defense, and I keep going back to this. Jose Okendo has called him one of the best infielders in the minor leagues that he's seen, uh, and has no doubt that the, that Nolan can play second base at the major league level. Now, is he going to be a Gold Glove winner? Only time's going to tell. I mean, right now you got to say no, he's not, but he's only 22. So he's got plenty of time to to, to, to get better at the, at this craft, and you know what better people to kind of learn from than who he's got on that team right now uh, with a Tommy Edmund, okay? Um, so we'll see what happens with with, with that. But uh, the other other options now, or other things you've got to look at, is um, if Yepes and Donovan keep playing the way they're playing. Does that create another logjam that can only be solved by a trade? And who would they likely trade? Do you stay with the young kids, Yepes and Donovan, or and trade a Carlson or an O'Neill, assuming he's healthy? Uh, or do you, because they've turned in such good stuff, use Yepes and Donovan? They could also try to move Corey Dickerson, although 
I don't know who's going to take him right now at this point. Uh, might even offer up, say, a Lars Newt bar with a pitcher, like a Rondon or, or a Woodford. Uh, Oh, one, uh, one pitcher I forgot to mention was Matthew Libertor. Uh, he's had a couple games. Uh, first game didn't quite look as sharp as you would think. Second game, um, he pitched, went five innings against uh, Milwaukee. Looked very good. Uh, I think uh, he's one that uh, might allow them, if Flaherty comes back with any kind of uh, ability and being able to play at, a, at the level he was, I think uh, with Libertor you might see Hicks uh, finally be sent to Memphis to learn how to pitch as a starter the right way uh, instead of trying to elevate him quickly. So all in all, things are not bad, but there is room for improvement and upgrading. So let's hope the front office hears the, the wake-up alarm this time and gets out of bed. Okay, it is time for the announcements. I've been hyping them, so time to announce what I've got going. All right. And the first one is this. Talking Sports on the Bleachers will now have its own website. Yes, the show will still be part of GatewayCitySports.com and the Gateway City Sports Network, but it will have its own web presence as well. Now, the site is still is uh, still kind of under development, but it, it is up and running. Um, so the address uh, for that site is Talking Sports. That's one word. Hyphen OTB dot or excuse me hyphen OTB hyphen GCS dot on podium.com again talking sports one word hyphen otb hyphen gcs dot on podium p o d i u m dot com now you'll be able to eventually uh, subscribe to get uh, notifications and emails on upcoming events uh, shows anything of that nature and you'll be able to leave comments and just another way to get in touch with me there um, <clears throat> And as far as getting in touch with me, if you would like to send me a, uh, you can uh, comment at the sites that I post, or you can email, uh, excuse me, uh, contact me on Twitter, uh, contact the show on Twitter at tsotb.gcs, uh, or you can contact me directly on Twitter at bigd underscore gcs. Uh, Either of those two ways you'll get in touch with me or the show. And we appreciate you contacting us, reaching out to us, let us know what you think. Uh, the second announcement I've got is that next week I will have, as a guest, talking college hoops, the leading scorer in the University of Illinois basketball men's basketball history, Mr. Dion Thomas. That's right, folks. He will be here. We'll be talking NCAA Transfer Portal, the NIL, and... University of Illinois, so be sure to tune in for that, especially if you're an Illinois fan. I've listened to Dion talk before, and he's he's a really good interview, so hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. I think it'll be a lot of fun anyway. And lastly, I want to take a moment to recognize the military men and women on this Memorial Day. Let us also not forget the families as well. The wives, the children, the parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, they all serve. They all sacrifice something, so I want us to remember that. Uh, I know I kind of speak for myself, but I do think other people have the same feeling. Uh, so that when I say I thank you all for your service to our country, not just the men and women that serve, but their families as well. And I hope may God bless each and every one of you. So that's going to be it for me this week. Don't forget to tune in next week. And don't forget to check out the website. And you have a great sports week.